there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple that like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do, that we do. This week, we are celebrating the end of an era. Even though we live in North Carolina now, we are New Yorkers through and through. And one thing about New York, if you live in New York, you know that Broadway is a thing. And a big part of Broadway is Phantom of the Opera. Phantom is the longest running Broadway show ever. And it just closed on April 16th. So we thought, uh, well, mainly I thought we should commemorate said occasion. Seeing as how I'm the musical nerd here. Scott was a, a somewhat willing participant, as always, with the musicals. But I figured we should celebrate this momentous occasion and, and grieve for our fallen Broadway brethren by watching Phantom of the Opera, the movie, released in 2004. <laughs> um, so this is the third Joel Schumacher movie we've done now? Yes, this movie was directed by Joel Schumacher and also co-written by him as well. But uh, Joel Schumacher also directed The Lost Boys and Batman and Robin, which both of those movies we have also reviewed. Phantom was always one of those musicals, at least for me, that like I never saw it on Broadway. A lot of people from New York have seen it on Broadway because it's been around forever, right? But the yeah. thing is, I never actually saw it. I know Scott did. Yes, I, I saw it. I always saw it as like, oh, you know, it's Phantom. Like, you know, I know what happens in Phantom. It's just, it's kind of fucking weird and like, eh, I don't think I'd be into it. But then I actually watched uh, a recording of the musical. It was the 25th anniversary recording. I think it was released in 2011. It was Royal Albert Hall. It was a whole big thing. And um, yeah, I don't know what happened to me when I watched it, but I was like, oh, I like Phantom now. Oh no, <laughs> what the fuck is this? This is awesome. I, I don't know how it happened, but it's, yeah, it's a very weird niche kind of musical. But meanwhile, everyone seems to love it. It's It's an enigma. Phantom is an enigma, but um, it is an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. It actually is the musical that he pushed out after Cats, which is another musical movie that we also did on the show. <laughs> yeah, this is better than Cats. Well, yeah, I mean, that goes without saying. But Phantom was put out in the West End, which is basically the UK's Broadway, in 86, and then it went to Broadway two years later, and then it stayed around forever and ever. It won seven Tonys, including Best Musical. So it, it's an iconic show. And uh, it makes sense that they would make a movie out of it. However, I would imagine it would be difficult to capture the je ne sais quoi of Phantom of the Opera, the musical. Especially if you have Joel Schumacher and Andrew Lloyd Webber himself writing the script. There's a lot of things that are just kind of weird about this adaptation. Yes, absolutely. Like, yes, I saw the musical on Broadway. It always is surprising to me that when you get a movie budget that you can't make things better than they do on the stage. Like, there's makeup that you see in The Phantom and the Opera on stage that's better than the makeup here in the movie. The thing of it is, and I think the thesis statement as to why this movie was a failure... There are many reasons, but the main thesis would be that when you're adapting a stage musical to a movie, you can't look at it like a stage musical. You have to look at it like a movie. You can't stage it like a stage musical because stage musicals have the advantage of a live audience and you get that sort of charge between the audience and the performers that kind of gasses up the whole experience in a movie you don't have that and also there's more suspension of disbelief in a stage musical because you're on a stage with a movie you have different sets you can have transitions you can have this and that and it's more of a visual art form Whereas stage musicals are, even though they are rehearsed, it, it comes off very impromptu because it's a live performance. But also, when you talk about like live theater versus movies, a live theater crowd knows what they're getting into. Correct. They come in expecting, you know, theater, stage. Like, they're willing to forgive things because it's live theater. Exactly. And 
there are choices made in this movie all over the place. Casting, shot composition, editing. There's a lot of choices made that give you a big old question mark. The thing about Schumacher is he has a very visual style. Yes. And he's had that visual style for decades. But was he the right choice for this? We do describe that Lost Boys basically got him this job. Which makes sense because the vibe of Lost Boys is very like dark and gothic, but also has a sense of sexual undertone slash music video slash, you know, like that's the vibe that we were going for with this. And it could have worked. It's not terrible. Like it's bad. Phantom of the Opera 2004 is bad, but it's an easily fixed kind of bad, which is frustrating. Yes, because there are things that, if you think about them logistically, like, we'll go with the main one that everyone talks about. It's Gerard Butler. Right. Gerard Butler is a decent actor. Yeah, he's he's fine. He, I mean, I've never seen him in anything that's like, oh my god, Gerard Butler. He's but a, he's fine. He's a decent actor. And, and he's very handsome. He's very handsome. But the role of the Phantom of the Opera is such a difficult singing role. Yes, it's probably one of the most difficult singing roles in Broadway history, I would assume. I, I'm trying to think of other ones, but it, it's definitely up there. And, and like for the 25-year anniversary performance that I love and connected with when I got into Phantom, and by the way, if you want to watch Phantom and like maybe you've watched this movie and you're like, oh, Phantom's fucking stupid. Why do people like it so much? Watch the 25-year anniversary recording from Albert Hall. It's leaps and bounds better because there are actual Broadway performances that just fucking kill, and it's it's so much better. Compare that to Gerard Butler, and it's not even really a conversation. But I also feel bad for Gerard Butler because it's clear when you watch the movie that he's trying. It's just he has no experience with singing. But I don't blame him necessarily taking the role because it's like, oh, Phantom of the Opera, it's fucking huge. Like, yeah, sure. Oh, Joel Schumacher wants me in this movie. Sure. Yeah, well, this is still early in his career, too. (laughs) Like... There are times later on in the movie where, as the Phantom gets more and more frantic, Gerard Butler is Scottish. And that accent starts coming out real thick towards the end. Yeah, well, because the guy... Okay, here's the thing, too. The guy has four lines in this movie that are spoken. The rest of it is singing. Because, you know, similarly to an actual opera, most of the dialogue in this movie is singing. And Gerard Butler, like I said, is not a singer. It's harder to sing in an accent than it is to talk in an accent. So you can hear somewhat of an accent in his singing, but it's covered up enough and drowned out by all the bad that you don't really notice. But yeah, when he's talking, sometimes you get a little bit of the Scottish. But at that point, I mean, it's said in Paris, European, whatever. It's fine. Who cares? At the time frame when this movie comes out, I don't know who would have been a good replacement for Butler and for Schumacher if you wanted to do this differently. We can talk about Cast Kudabins later because there are Cast Kudabins. This movie was supposed to come out in the 90s. That would make more sense. With like the original stage stars that did Phantom of the Opera. Um, but before we get into the nitty gritty, of course this is a big musical movie so it was sort of Oscar bait. Actually at one point in <laughs> one song in this movie... <laughs> Scott thought that they were the chorus in the background was literally saying Oscar bait as the background vocals. I'm like, that's not what they're saying. They're saying masquerade deer, not Oscar bait. It sounds so much like when you hear it, you're like, are they saying Oscar bait? And they keep saying it. And you're like, it really does sound like Oscar bait. But I did want to bring up the Oscars, really for one specific reason that has nothing to do with Phantom of the Opera. So, okay, they were nominated for three altogether, Phantom of the Opera. It was nominated for Cinematography, which, okay, <laughs> and Art Direction, but they lost both to The Aviator. Um, but it was also nominated for Best Original Song. 
uh, for the end credit song oh. that was sang by Minnie Driver, who was also in this movie, who is just like a caricature of a human in this movie. I I, I feel I also feel bad for Minnie Driver, and I've really I felt bad for pretty much every actor, every principal actor in this movie. But um, the reason I want to bring up best original song, uh, obviously, the Phantom song lost, but it lost to Al Otro Lado del Rio. From the movie called The Motorcycle Diaries, which I've never heard of that in my life. If you have, great. I'm not as cultured as you. But the reason I want to mention it is because I was appalled. A guest, even. And I just needed to bring it up. Shrek 2 came out this year. And Accidentally in Love was nominated and lost. Which I find to be a fucking travesty yeah accidentally love is a good fucking song it's a fucking great song we're gonna play it right now in this fan of the opera review suck it so she said what's the problem baby what's the problem i don't know well maybe i'm in love love think about it every time i think about it can't stop thinking about it how much longer will it there you go yeah. it's beautiful it's a great fucking song and it was shafted probably because it's from an animated movie exactly. and to that i say fuck you <laughs> oscars well, okay <laughs> now we're back to the phantom review. as uh, guillermo said animated movies are movies yes animation is not a genre it's a medium god damn it anyway <laughs> i actually was excited to watch this again because i hadn't watched it in a while i was like you know what let me look at it through open eyes and open heart and yeah. see how i feel about it i haven't watched this since i think blockbuster was still a thing at the time oh god i i do want to mention before we get into the nitty-gritty that this movie has a, a very contentious rotten tomato score critic score is 33 percent, which is i guess to be expected because critics but do you want to guess what the audience score is you're gonna be shocked 62 no Higher. Higher? Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. 74. 84% with audience. Jesus Christ. So I would put it somewhere in the middle there for sure. I don't think it's a 33. I don't think it's an 84 though, certainly. So I would probably put it somewhere where you were saying it first, which is in the 60s. Okay. I don't think it's terrible. Um, I don't. It's watchable. It's watchable. Which is better than some other movie musicals yeah. out there in the universe. So I don't think... The Apple. So I don't think... Sorry, Antonio. We we did a, a review of The Apple and Xanadu on the Cultworthy podcast which are with our friend Antonio. Feel free to check that out because it was freaking awesome. But yeah, there are some musicals out there that are not watchable and completely incomprehensible. You, you can watch this. You can critique the fuck out of it, but you can watch it. And enjoy parts of it. Yeah, you can enjoy parts of it. Again, there are parts that are just like, what the fuck are we doing? Absolutely. And we're going to get into that right now. So, are you ready to get into the nitty gritty, Scotty? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, we open up with our framing device of the movie. And just so you know, I'm going to mention it now. And I'm never going to mention it again. So... Because it doesn't matter and I don't care. Every time it came on screen, I was like, fuck this. I don't fucking care. It was just to pad out the runtime, it felt like, at some point. But essentially, the framing device is these black and white shots of the future. With uh, an old man, who we later find out is Rao, who is one of our love interests of the movie. And uh, he's just an old man getting wheeled around on a wheelchair. And he visits this opera house. And in terrible old man makeup. Yeah, it's just terrible and it's bad. And it pops up now and again throughout the entirety of the movie for reasons. I really don't know. There are times it pops up for it just seems like no reason at all. Honestly, we could have had like if you wanted to add this framing device. Don't know why, but if you wanted to add this framing device, <laughs> the beginning and the end fine. Yeah, you could have did that and then it would have been fine. You didn't have to have it keep popping up. Because I didn't understand... Even just at the end would have been fine. I would have been okay with that. Yeah, I would have been fine then too because they do this thing with the chandelier because if you know the musical, the chandelier is a big fucking thing. They show the chandelier after Raul has bought this music box that means nothing to him. 
but the chandelier rises and color starts to fill the old opera house. Yeah, it's a fucking DeLorean. We go back in time to fucking 1870 and we start our story. And it it, it doesn't fucking matter, the framing device. It's completely irrelevant and doesn't matter. So we open up the real story in 1870 at a Paris opera house. And we have all these people preparing for a performance at this opera house. And we meet most of our main players here right in the beginning. We meet, first and foremost, Christine Daae, who is a dancer at the Opera House. She's played by Emmy Rossum, who is uh, Fiona from Shameless. That's seven years after this movie. It is kind of funny, like, the contrast between this performance and her as Fiona in Shameless. It's really kind of funny because Fiona is kind of like a badass bitch. And Christine Daae is very much a gentle, innocent little flower. And uh, she's got quite the soprano. All the people in this movie do their own singing, as far as I know. At least all the main characters do. To both positive and negative results. We meet Carlotta, who is our main star of the opera house. And she's played by Minnie Driver. Now, actually, I lied because she is actually the only principal actor that didn't have her own voice. The character of Carlotta is like a real opera singer and a real high soprano. So she actually had her opera voice dubbed by a singer from the UK named Margaret Priest. Ah. Minnie Driver actually sang the end credit song that was nominated for the Oscar. Ah. So the, you have that. I guess <laughs> that, that's fine. But uh, yeah, the character of Carlotta is essentially just a joke through yeah. the whole movie. She's got a really overly exaggerated French accent. She's really dramatic. She's like the typical diva. She's like Sharpay if, from High School Musical. If Sharpay was in Phantom of the Opera, she would be Minnie Driver <laughs> in this movie. It's funny because as she's singing, so many people... like who are cleaning the opera house are like, oh, she's terrible. Oh, like there's just scoffs every time Carlotta sings, but she's the star. Uh, We also meet Madame Geary, who is the dance instructor as well as her daughter Meg. But Madame Geary is played by Miranda Richardson, who was in the Harry Potter franchise. She played Rita Skeeter, who was the like snooty asshole fucking reporter oh i didn't recognize her okay goblet i think goblet of fire yes i believe she's there yeah she was in more of the books but i think in the movie she was only in goblet of fire and uh the way we start off the story is the owner of the opera house is retiring so he's selling off his opera house to two gentlemen by the name of Furman and andre who are played by kieran hines and Simon Callow, respectively. Kieran Hines uh, was also in the Harry Potter franchise. He played Aberforth, who's Dumbledore's brother, oh. in the last movie. Ah. And uh, he also voiced Steppenwolf in Justice League. Ah, that's great for him. Um. And Simon Callow is one of those that guy actors. Like He's very much a character actor that you would recognize if you saw his face. He was the villain in Ace Ventura 2. He was. He also voiced the Grasshopper in James and the Giant Peach, he which did. I watched a lot as a kid. Same. I feel like that movie gave me nightmares a little bit as a kid, but that's another story. Um, so these guys are two very British men that have bought the opera house, and they are basically being supported by their patron or their, their financial backer, as it were, who is Raoul, played by Patrick Wilson, and he is also childhood sweethearts with Christine Daae, which we find out a little later. But um, we actually have talked about Patrick Wilson before on this show, pretty early on in our show, before we had this amazing sound quality that you now are yeah, listening yeah. to. Uh, we did a review of Watchmen. Yes. He played the Night Owl, and that is five years after this movie. Yeah. There's no flamethrower of cum in this one either. <laughs> no, definitely not. Oh, God, that movie. <laughs> it's so weird also like this movie Patrick Wilson I feel like is one of those actors that is very he presents very bland he, and maybe that's why his career isn't like anything crazy like I know he did the, the those horror movies right where he and his yeah. wife hunt I don't even remember what the fucking ones um, what they're called it's like Conjuring Conjuring yeah I know he's done those he did Watchmen, obviously, which wasn't, like, super successful. I know he was the villain in Aquaman. Yes, he was. So, like, he's just one of those kind of bland but solid actors, I would say. Because ah. he's solid in this. He actually has a Broadway career before this. He was Tony-nominated for two musicals on Broadway before this. I think Patrick Wilson, I think it's the look and the way he speaks. It kind of comes off 
nerdy-ish and like yeah like but i feel like that works to his advantage in this role it does but i think it also works to his disadvantage when he wants to get out of that right um i would agree because like aquaman he's supposed to be villainous and it, it works sometimes but it's not like great he's just one of those guys that i feel like he's kind of been typecasted yeah he's never really broke out of that barrier to the next level of being a star or anything he's always just kind of second banana to somebody else like this is probably the most outside the boxes because he's kind of like the heartthrob sure but i think it works he's got that long flowing hair and he's like the good boy raul is kind of the, the nice guy and sometimes nice guys finish last or you know they become drunks and gambling addicts and we're not talking about oh. love never dies scott scott didn't know about love never dies anyway if you don't know about love never dies just look it up it's there's a sequel to phantom of the opera guys i don't know if you guys probably the musical nerds out there know about it but anyone that doesn't know about it now you know look it up it's shitty uh i've never watched it but i have no intention to but uh, yeah the thing about raul you root for him because he's the nice guy and he's sweet and he's handsome and he's rich but i feel like a lot of people are weirded out by the love triangle that's set up in this movie which is like a big part of the movie well there's a couple things wrong with this love triangle well i'm not talking about this movie specifically i'm talking about the whole thing we're gonna get to the the movie issue in a minute (laughs) but like yeah when you think about the love triangle just like raul you have the childhood like relationship and that's fine but your other choice is a murderer slash monster who might be supernatural who might not be he's not supernatural Uh, he's not he's Uh. just hit the vibe is supposed to be and the it doesn't work for this movie because his voice isn't what it should be the phantom but the 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 thing with the show in general is he's supposed to be oogly on the outside but his voice is supposed to be so angelic and beautiful that it ensnares young christine Daae. but um it doesn't work for this movie because gerard butler is not a good singer <laughs> so the phantom of the opera is the other point of this love triangle between christine and raul and he's supposed to be the bad boy essentially in this equation <laughs> Yeah, murder. Murder makes you a bad boy. Murder automatically, I would say, makes you a bad boy. So now that we've met most of our main players, let's get into like the real nooks and crannies of this plot here. Carlotta, who is the main star, as I said, Minnie Driver, she almost gets crushed by a big fucking beam while she's on stage. And uh, we realized watching the movie that it is set up by the Phantom, the Phantom of the Opera who, by the way, supposedly is paid by the owner of this fucking opera house to, like, just exist and lurk around the fucking opera house. And well, the new owners are like, what the fuck? No, we're not paying this fucking asshole. Well, I think he's he's paid not to fuck with shit. Right. Like, that's, that's literally why, like, hey, he, if we pay him, he's not going to fuck us. Carlotta refuses to sing that night. And Christine Daae replaces Carlotta as a, as the main singer. Uh, and she explains that she has been getting lessons from the Phantom. But Christine thinks that this Phantom is actually the angel of music sent by her dead father. And uh, it's, it's sad, but it is what it is. It so, comes off weird. Um, yeah. And Madame Geary, we find out, is essentially the phantom sort of handler in this opera house. And we find out a little more about their backstory later. But essentially, Christine takes over for Carlotta. She sings a beautiful song very, very well. And she's a big hit with all the people. This is where we get our first big song, Think of Me, which uh, I had to sing in chorus when I was a child. Uh, and uh, it, it's a hard song. That's the thing. It, you need a really, really good soprano to do a lot of the Christine songs. And Emmy Rossum does a really good job here. The only thing I have about this song, when they close up on Emmy Rossum's face. Oh, yeah. It's a weird. It's a weird choice. <laughs> I don't know if it's because they back in a way or if she's in front of a green screen like it was reshot. But it looks like it's in front of a green screen and they didn't make it look right. They, they yeah. didn't like clean up the edges. Right. It ha- she has a weird glow around her, which 
either is a, ch- a choice that was made purposely to like give her this ethereal type of glow that was just executed badly or like scott said she for the close-ups was in front of a green screen either way either choice is weird and not great because <laughs> it's distracting and then there's a transition here as she's singing we cut to a floor grate and then go down the floor grate mm-hmm. into a crack in the floor <laughs> to the phantom standing there with his arms open. Yeah, it's a weird CGI shot that doesn't need to be in existence. I don't, I don't know. But Raul is watching the show from up in the rafters and he sees Christine and recognizes her as his former childhood sweetheart. And he goes backstage to see her after the show and they reunite like, oh, Ral, it's so great to see you. And they, you know, hug and like, oh, we should we should hang out, girl. Come on, let's I'll, I'll take you out after an after the show beverage. And uh, he leaves. And then we get our official introduction into the Phantom of the Opera played by Gerard Butler, as I said. And this is uh, before his kind of big boost in the industry with 300 i feel like that was his big yeah, that holy was... shit it's gerard butler let's put him into every romantic comedy for like a few years well <laughs> like it's i don't know what well, happened he but... became 300 then it was like rom-coms and it was action movies yeah like that's kind of his niche he's a guy i've watched a lot of his movies a lot more than i probably should admit like i've seen gamer i've seen the ugly truth i've seen both olympus's fallens or was he white house down Um, I don't fucking know. Who cares? (laughs) Anyway, the point is that Gerard Butler was not equipped to do this role. And that's why I feel bad. Because from the beginning, and actually this wasn't a bad shot. Because the way they do it in the show is they have him come through her mirror in her dressing room. And like take her through the mirror into like his secret dungeon lair or whatever. it's not a bad shot where he's like staring at her through the mirror and she comes up and looks at him it's like an interesting looking shot but the problem is he starts singing and shit and (laughs) it, it, it gets worse and worse as we go through the movie we're gonna get into it but I don't understand you had Andrew Lloyd Webber involved in this heavily and you had Joel Schumacher now Joel Schumacher said that he was impressed with Butler after he saw him in Dracula 2000, which I've never seen that movie, no, but just based either. on the title, I can tell that it's a movie that Joel Schumacher would probably be impressed by. So, like, fine, but, like, this is a musical. Like, Andrew Lloyd Webber should have piped up and been like, yeah, but we need a guy that can, like, sing, because this is a musical and he's the main character. So, it's not even, huh? It's, it's not <laughs> even like, yeah, he has to be able to sing... But he also has to be tantalizing. Is that the word I'm looking for? Yeah, it's a gross word, but yes. Like, <laughs> yes. Like he, he, he has to have a certain mystique about him. He almost him. has to be able to, like, entrap her in his web. I think he has that capability. The problem is, though, the singing doesn't help. The singing is supposed to be a big part of the lore. Like, Gerard Butler looks good. as, yeah. a, as But I don't think he has, like... I subtlety. She doesn't have subtlety. I think if you flip these two roles I don't know. and Patrick Wilson was the Phantom. I don't think Patrick Wilson could pull off the Phantom either. I, I, I think he, well, I think he's a better singer. Yes. I don't think Patrick Wilson would be as potent either. Sorry to use another kind of gross <laughs> connotation. But like, yeah, no, I, I don't think either of them would have worked as a Phantom. I think Patrick Wilson would have been better because he can sing better. But as far as the vibe, I think Gerard Butler has a closer vibe, but not a good voice. Patrick Wilson has a good voice, but not the right vibe. So it's like we need a combination of those two people to come together and make a good phantom. And we have to discuss the other thing. The other uh, yes. horse in the room right now. The, the horse in the room? Uh, well, no, there's a horse in the sewer, dear. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I mean, Rossum rides a horse in the fucking sewers of this fucking opera house, but... Uh, so I I realized I was doing research and I don't want to blame the actors here because I'm sure that they were all as respectful as possible in this scenario. But and, you know, 2004 was a different time, I guess. Um, Emmy Rossum was 17 during the filming of this movie, which is fine. But the, the problem <laughs> is that um, Patrick Wilson was 30 years old and Gerard Butler was 34 years old. Now, 
we've seen worse age gaps, obviously, but it just it feels a little icky. Feels icky because these are grown men, like in their thirties, and this is a seventeen-year-old girl. And I get like she's you know eighteen, boom, she's an adult. But even if she was eighteen, it's still a little weird. It's still a little icky. I mean, in the show too, it's a little icky. But you're supposed to be kind of taken in and swept up in the bad boy allure. <laughs> you know, murder, how sexy, but. <laughs> Very. But I mean, again, I don't want to blame the actors because I feel like it's just, it is what it is. No, it's what you do. But like, I'm sure there was a point where Gerard Butler was like, oh God. um." It just makes it more obvious as to like, why did we cast Gerard Butler in this role? There's so many reasons not to cast Gerard Butler. And yet we cast a Gerard Butler. And again, I don't want to blame him either because you can tell watching this movie and Mind you, it's not like Lame Miz where like they were singing live on set. But even in the scenes when they're filming it, you can tell Gerard Butler is struggling by the sound of the singing and just by like the vibe. Like you just see it on his face almost. Oh and, yeah, like, in his stature, like he's he's struggling to like get, and he and he doesn't do bad all the time. But it's particularly with some of the singing, you can tell he's really trying. Well, even like when you look at him when he's on set, because as we follow them into the sewers, into this magical, mystical thing that Christine is just, she sees all this beauty in the sewers. The Phantom of the Opera is there. (laughs) Yes, as he's singing Phantom of the Opera here, you can clearly tell the mask is bothering him. Yeah, which I can understand. Like, it just, it's the way it's sitting on his face. He clearly is having a hard time with it. That's part of the reason I think they drop it halfway through the movie. Yeah, the Phantom takes Christine through the mirror and down into his secret underground dungeon, complete with horse and boat and... Candles rising from the sewer. Yes, that's the thing, too. When you see the, the candelabras literally rising from the water fully lit it literally reminds you of a broadway production if you've ever seen a broadway production or even like just a fancy stage production where they're trying to do a transition to a different location but they're on the stage so they have to they have to just have stuff coming out of the of the walls or out of the ground just to signify a new location that's the vibe you get and that's the that's one of the main problems with this movie is that they are clearly looking at this as like a stage production and not a movie which there are films that are adapted from plays or whatnot that come off like plays just on a movie screen but with this it's very difficult and sometimes distracting to do that because it's a fucking huge musical with big set pieces and shit it's like they're doing this really dramatic song as all the fucking songs are in this show and you just see (laughs) candelabras fully lit rising out of the water and it's like dude it's it's so stupid it is why would he have this in a fucking dungeon underwater like why would how would he make this but yes he kidnaps christine and they have a, a magical night together in the fucking sewers. But one song that I think really kind of perfectly shows like how A, difficult the musical role of the Phantom is, and B, why Jar Butler is not right for it, is actually my personal favorite song of the show, Music of the Night. It just shows so perfectly how the role of the phantom requires your voice to go literally all over the place. You have to do vibrato. You have to go high. You have to go low. You have to have power behind your voice, you know, in the diaphragm. And um, Gerard Butler, in places where he should be soft, he sounds like almost like a foghorn in like the sea. And (laughs) in places where he should have like strong power behind his voice and gusto he just sounds like he's yelling and again i do think he's really trying so i don't want to blame him i feel like he was just miscast for this but it's just a clear indication of like how wrong he was for this role leave all thoughts of the life you knew before let your soul take you 
someone who was completely miscast and was trying his best clearly i think he did the best he could do there's so many times where he has to like go up for a note yeah and they cut off his vocals yeah they cut it off like after a second Uh uh-huh i feel like he was set up to fail he was it's not fair it's not cool man so here's my question for you miss musical nerd okay you have a headset with two cds you either have to just listen to gerard butler singing phantom okay or russell crowe singing les mis oh gosh um i i honestly i would probably listen to gerard butler because at least there is some variety you know, it's not all great, but Russell Crowe isn't either. Russell Crowe and Les Mis, it's just, it seems like it's the same thing every time he opens his mouth. Like, it's just that all the time. So I would say Gerard Butler. Interesting, interesting. Why, what would you say? No, I'm just, I was just wondering. Oh, I, okay. Well, don't, don't judge me, okay? I'm not judging you. I just, I wanted your opinion to be known. So he puts Christine to bed. Christine eventually wakes up as he's whittling away on his piano. Mm-hmm. And immediately she rips off the mask. He freaks out. I, yeah, he yells things for a while and then he kind of calms down. And I, I will say this part was at least emotionally he did a decent job where he was kind of freaking out at first. And then kind of just like broke down a little bit. And Christine sort of felt bad for him and gave him the mask back. And then they kind of went on their merry way. He let her go and let her go back to her, her life like nothing happened. And she returns and she's just like, hi, I'm back. <laughs> yeah. How much time has passed? We don't know. We don't know. We don't care. <laughs> Essentially, what happens is the Phantom sends a bunch of notes to different people that are involved with the Opera House. And it's like, listen, there's this new opera coming out. I know that. But I want Christine to be the lead. Fuck Carlotta. If you guys don't do what I want, then I'm going to fuck some shit up. And the managers of the opera house are like, fuck you, Phantom. We're putting Carlotta on. So the Phantom ends up on opening night of this new opera, sabotaging Carlotta with her throat spray, like switching it out for uh, who God knows what the fuck he put in that bottle. (laughs) Fucking arsenic. Who fucking knows? Um, But she can't sing. So then Christine is set up to go in her place and while she's getting ready to go on in Carlotta's place, there's this stagehand backstage who previously had been set up as kind of like a creep with some of the ladies at the opera house. So it's okay for us, the audience. We're supposed to be okay with the fact that the Phantom just brutally murders him and hangs him from the rafters because he's kind of a creep with the ladies. Meanwhile, the Phantom is literally kidnapping Christine left and right. So, yeah, he gets hanged. Everybody kind of freaks out. Raul goes to Christine and is like, come on, let's let's get you out of here. Mind you, before this, the Phantom had sent a note specifically to Raul saying, stay the fuck away from Christine. But he's like, I don't give a fuck. I care about this girl. So come on, like, let's get out of here. And they run up to the roof together and they talk and they end up confessing their love for one another and singing a song, All I Ask of You, which considering you have two people that can actually sing, the song was very nice. <laughs> it is. I do wonder where Raul is going because he brings her to the roof. Where are you going to go, sir? Like, what's the plan? Just to sing to her on the roof? It's not a bad plan. <laughs> He sings to her on the roof, and then they're in love. Then she drops the phantom's rose, and the phantom who's watching them from the rooftop picks up the rose after they leave. Oh my god, it was so funny. He goes to the... It was such a quiet moment, and it was like very sullen and dramatic, but quiet and subtle. Can you believe it? A subtle moment in phantom, and then... (laughs) He just gets up on the statue and screams to the heavens. Screams. Like, revenge. Like, holy fucking shit. Like, calm down. You will curse the day you did not do. The 
opera, there's a lot going on, right? At all times. There's an opera house and there's a chorus of people singing and dancing. Ah! So then when you have a quiet moment, you should like stay with that for a minute. Give the audience a chance to breathe and like just soak something in. Nope. <laughs> it's just, it's quiet for like a second. And then bam, we go loud as possible. Uh, yeah, the Phantom, after seeing Raoul and Christine confess their love for each other, because clearly the Phantom is in love with Christine and is obsessed with her. So he's a little angry that, uh, you know, he has been helping this girl in his mind with her career and teaching her and loving her so devotedly. And now she's confessing her love to some schmuck. Uh, so he vows revenge against them and against the opera house. So this is essentially where we get our de facto intermission. So uh, I will take this opportunity to jump right into one of our favorite segments of the show that we haven't done in a little bit, I think. It's the cast could have been. So, like I mentioned earlier, this film was supposed to be made in 1990. Okay. With Michael Crawford and Sarah Brightman, who were the OG yeah. Phantom and Christine on stage. Which just makes me think of High School Musical. Right, because in High School Musical, the original, Corbin Blue referenced uh, Michael Crawford. Everything comes back to High School Musical. My mother keeps a picture of Michael Crawford in the refrigerator. Why? Why? Still don't, don't know the answer to that question. No, it's one of <laughs> cinema's greatest mysteries. What is Rosebud? Blashley figured that out. This is this is even better than Citizen Kane. High School Musical is better than Citizen Kane. I said it. No, I'm kidding. I'm not that insane. Okay. So anyway, back to Phantom. The Michael Crawford, Sarah Brightman film didn't get made. And then uh, th they didn't start a production again until 2002. And uh, at that time, there were multiple names being thrown around for both Christine and the Phantom. Starting with Christine, let's see. We got uh, Kate Winslet. Okay. Excellent choice right yeah. there. Kira Knightley. Anne Hathaway. Okay. Who actually turned down the role because she was doing Princess Diaries 2. But she ended up doing Les Mis literally eight years later. So it worked out all for the best. And uh, last but not least, Catherine Zeta-Jones was considered. But she turned it down because she had just done Chicago. Yeah. So she's like, oh, I'm done with musicals for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fair. Now, as far as The Phantom, in, in like the late 80s, early 90s, when this musical was very much a new fangled thing and the hot new ticket in town, we had a very infamous gentleman by the name of Michael Jackson who expressed that he would like to play the phantom in a movie okay do we get brooding gothic the thing vibes is, from michael jackson yeah, i don't think so but we, we don't mean, <laughs> but like again a vibe can be created a vibe could be created he, like he could carry it to songs i believe sure um but like yeah but i've never heard him i'm trying to think of i've heard him sing like at a really low register i, I think he's gone some places where like if you think about like bad and like dirty Diana, he kind of gets a little lower. He's got the raspiness capability. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely would be interesting to the point where people would want to see it at that time. Like, you know it, what I mean? It would be one of those. Yeah, it would be one of those castings. Like, let's go see this. Like, this is a weird casting between that or if you cast it like Prince. But um, as far as other choices that were being batted around for the Phantom, we had John Travolta. Yeah, well, I'm not shocked by that. Obviously. I feel like John Travolta shows up in pretty much all of our cast could have been, no matter what fucking movie it is. <laughs> Just hilarious. But uh, we also had Antonio Banderas, which would have been fucking hot as fuck. Yeah, he has the vibe. Oh I my God, he has the vibe. We also had Meatloaf in there. Okay, they're singing. Yeah, but like the the charisma and the, the je ne sais quoi, I don't know. Well, <laughs> the whole thing is like, Meatloaf actually might be more realistic in a way. He has a great voice. And if you were just going like, oh, the voice drags you in, Meatloaf is perfect for that. But he's a monster of a human being. Like, that could work really well if you do it the right way. It could. We also have some interesting ones. We have uh, Heath Ledger. Okay, pretty boy, yeah. 
Matthew McConaughey. Pretty boy, yeah, okay. It's, I just picture... The Texas accent would be yeah, rough. Yeah, I just picture that. It, oh, God, it makes me laugh. Kevin Spacey, which uh, that fits right in with the creep fucking yeah. vibe. Uh, <laughs> and uh, last but not least, we have Hugh Jackman in there, who also has Broadway experience. He actually turned down the role because he was doing Van Helsing at the time, but similarly to Anne Hathaway, he also ended up doing Les Mis eight years later. So it, it all worked out, except it, it didn't with this movie. I, <laughs> Yeah, I think there were some great potential choices in here. If only Van Helsing didn't exist, and then we could have had Hugh Jackman in this role, and it would have been so much better. Yeah, it would have been, but I do wonder if he did this, if he would have had his run as the action star that he had a little bit in the early 2000s it could have potentially changed the trajectory he could have been seen more as a dramatic actor and not really leaned towards actiony towards like x-men and wolverine stuff maybe that that's possible but yeah i think the general thesis of what we've been saying this whole time is that if the role of the phantom was somebody else this movie could have been at least somewhat improved but that leads us back to this movie yeah, three months later, according to Wikipedia, even though there's really no indication that uh, there any time has passed between All I Ask of You and this next song, which is Masquerade. Christine and Raul are secretly engaged, and essentially Raul's like, why are we hiding this engagement? Because there's a man who secretly wants to kill you. The Phantom still poses a looming threat over their lives. My question is, he is so rich... I understand, like, oh, this is what she's wanted to do her entire life, being right. the opera. You're you're answering your own question. Why don't they just leave? Just leave. They, you just answer your own question. Why not? But they, they can just leave. There's other, like, oh, you but can he, be a ballerina elsewhere. But Move she, to England. She do the loves, London ballet. She loves music. She loves the opera. She wants to you be cannot, here. You cannot tell and, me there are not any <laughs> other opera houses around. Sydney has an opera house. Go to Australia. <laughs> Raul supports the arts and he supports his lady. Everyone wants a Raul in their life, okay? But they don't appreciate the Raul in their life because fuckheads like the Phantom are poking around with their bad boy vibes, murdering people, <laughs> thinking that's, you know, hot and sexy. <laughs> Isn't it so sexy that I killed this person for you? I mean, uh, kind of, maybe. <laughs> Don't you love the fact that I still have their blood on my hands? Ew, okay. <laughs> so there's a masquerade ball. Everybody's dancing around and having a grand old time. And of course, the phantom crashes the party. He literally comes out with an opera <laughs> that he wrote himself that he demands that they perform. We had a problem with this. So the Phantom's there waxing on poetically about how he's the shit, right? And Raul, despite the fact that he knows that the Phantom is obsessed with Christine... And has somewhat of... Murderous tendencies. Murder, well, yes, the murderous tendencies, but also... Kidnapping tendencies yes, as well. Yes, kidnapping tendencies, but also kind of somehow has a mental hold on Christine. Yes, He's very manipulative and she is very naive. So he decides he's going to leave Christine alone there. To go get the cops. Right. And it's like, okay, I understand your sentiment that you want this guy captured. Like, that's great and all because, you know, murderer. But I would probably just tell someone else to do it. You're rich. You're used to telling people to do stuff for you. Just tell someone else to go and like stay there and protect your woman. Like, what are you doing? Okay. Because the second he leaves, you know, fucking Phantom addresses Christine and she just approaches him immediately and he sees her engagement ring and snatches it and leaves. <laughs> yes, he snatches it, but then Raul takes off his cloak and flourishes it so he can follow the phantom into oh my the God. into the trap door because everyone all the male characters oh my God, have to great. have this flourish of a cape oh my god you know a gr that would be a great drinking game for this movie the amount of flourishes for yeah every time a male character mostly Raul and especially the phantom flourishes their cape take a shot <laughs> he'll be shit faced by the end of the two and a half hour runtime. you might enjoy the movie more um, also true. Madam Gary grabs him and then proceeds to tell him the backstory of the Phantom. So essentially what we learn 
is that Phantom it was a deformed boy in a freak show, and he was being abused by the owner of the freak show. Madame Geary was a child and was watching this, saw the Phantom actually kill the owner of the freak show, and Madame Geary helped him escape and hid him away in the opera house and has been protecting him ever since. Now, this adds to his allure and it, it makes him a more, it's at least an attempt to make him a more sympathetic character, which is the whole point of Phantom of the Opera. It's like, you know, this guy is a murderer, but at the same time, he's a sympathetic character because he's deformed and society has essentially shunned him. But after this whole shebang, the opera house is essentially preparing to do this fucking opera of the phantoms because they don't want to incur his wrath right but Raoul is ever vigilant trying to keep an eye out for him in regards to christine he's stationed outside of her bedroom door however the first chance she gets christine eludes him and just decides to go to her father's grave and uh the phantom immediately takes this opportunity to manipulate her pretending to be her dead father Right. Well, that's what the internet says in the wiki page. But, like, it could be interpreted a little more loosely, depending on how you see it. Because she goes to his tomb, right? And she's singing some song uh, that's kind of boring and whatever. But she sings it very well. Great. And at some point, Gerard Butler starts singing. And she's hearing his voice and so on and so forth. But she's still addressing him as the angel of music because she hears him coming from her father's tomb. It's not clear if he's impersonating her father or just sort of manipulating the memory of her father because he's clearly singing from her father's tomb. The door opens and some weird fucking red light emits from her father's tomb and she's about to just walk in there before Raoul shows up and kind of saves her. So either way, he's horrible because he's manipulating this girl through the memory of her dead father. Yeah. So icky. Yeah, icky, icky, icky. Yeah, there's a problem here. Um, But, but this sword fight then occurs. Yes, which was done just for the film, I assume to give it some action, because I don't think there's a fucking duel in the middle of Phantom of the Opera on stage. I'm uh, pretty no, sure. No, there <laughs> is, I'm pretty sure there isn't. <laughs> Raoul gets the jump on him, and he almost kills him, but Christine's like, no, don't, not like this. And Raoul just gets up and walks away and leaves him there. The man murdered somebody. Just stab him in the chest. I mean, yeah. If if the roles were reversed... He would have killed you. Yeah. The Phantom got the jump on Raoul. No matter how many times Christine protested, he probably would have killed Raoul. But no, we go back. And Raoul comes up with this plan that he's going to have the police capture the Phantom. You could have killed him and this would have all been over. True. The other issue is they're plotting in the opera house. Which, yeah, which is his domain, and he, like, sees and hears almost everything that goes on in there. So it's like, what what are we doing? Like, you should not be planning in the opera house. Also, you shouldn't have all the cops show up in uniform. Yeah, that's also a thing. I mean, this wasn't planned out great. Let's put it that way. But the opera does go on, and... The Phantom actually ends up killing another person. So if you had just fucking killed him in the cemetery, we wouldn't have another death on our hands. But he kills the lead tenor of the show so he can get on stage with Christine. I feel like this particular scene with the song Point of No Return, it's essentially kind of a microcosm of everything that's right and wrong with this movie. So what's wrong with it? Gerard Butler's singing. We talked about that. The editing is terrible. Oh, it's awful. I don't I don't know why it's so bad, but it's bad. Like they're singing. It's essentially Emmy Rossum and Gerard Butler singing. And it'll randomly in the middle of this very impassioned and emotional duet just cut away to background dancers at like a Dutch angle and then cut back to them. It's just so weird and choppy and it doesn't really make any sense why they're doing that. My my thought is did something happen and they, did, they didn't get a good enough shot filming-wise. Like, I don't know, let's say Gerard Butler tripped on set, then they wanted to cut it out, and they're like, oh, we gotta cut to something else. But that doesn't make any sense. They're on a fucking film set. If he trips, just do another take. 
I'm not again. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying because he's still singing during this whole bit, right? So something clearly happened that you felt the need you had to cut away from him. I don't think that's true. I think they thought, oh well, you know, we don't want to hold on them the whole time. That's boring. Meanwhile, we want to see because the good thing that this movie gets right for the most part is the emotion behind everything. Like for example, with this song, it's a very emotional and passion song and you feel that when they're doing it which is why when the cuts happen it just kind of fucks it up and is really distracting but even when you pan to patrick wilson because he can see that she is attracted to the phantom despite the fact that he's this crazy fucking murderer guy and he is visibly upset he he's got tears in his eyes at one point the phantom starts singing to her all i ask of you and it pans to Patrick Wilson and he just looks like he's about to just burst into tears. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, Ralph. I felt so bad. I you was know, like, that's that's what this movie does right. But there's a point where all the cops have lined the side of the stage and they look to Patrick Wilson because he is like heading this thing and he stops them. Like he hand motion like don't don't go on the stage. I'm like, Cause why? Because he wants to see he's faced with this reality now and he can't he can't look away anymore. You know this guy is fucking insane and he knows every inch of this opera. Let's say if he is a normal person and he knows every inch of this opera house, which he does. He's lived here for, let's say, 20 some odd years. Don't just get him. End this fucking charade. I get what you're saying, but, you know, you got to think of it in the terms of drama and big emotions oh my and God. whatnot. It's a musical, dude. I'm sorry. That's what happens in musicals. The drama outweighs the logic. But, um... It kind of all comes to a head when Christine abruptly turns around and pulls the Phantom's mask off in front of everybody. Okay, let's get into the fucking sewer because immediately he Phantom grabs her and goes off into parts unknown and Patrick Wilson chases after them. Now let's look at the makeup here. Yeah, let's do this. It, okay, so if you've seen stuff from the stage production, it usually looks like the Phantom is like... Part of his skull is usually exposed. He's got like scars and sh- it looks like, and I'm going to put this as well as I can put it. Have you, if you've ever seen the movie Hitch, it looks like he just has a seafood <laughs> allergy. <laughs> In this movie. Kind of. Well, okay. It I- just looks like his face is a little puffy. The makeup in this movie is significantly less horrifying than in the stage show. That's absolutely accurate. And I guess part of that, too, is because it is a stage show. So you have to play to the people in the back. So you have to make it extra dramatic. So even the people in the nosebleeds can see and register the fact that this guy is deformed. Right. But in the movie... It essentially just looks like one half of Gerard Butler's face is burned a little bit and then he's a little bit balding on one side of his head. That's it. And not to say that that's, you know, like it's not like he's going to be on GQ anytime soon in that get up, but it doesn't come off like he's horribly deformed and a societal fucking, you know, monstrosity that needs to be sheltered away because he's a horrible monster. However, we move on from that. Uh, The Phantom is kidnapped Christine once again and taken her off to his lair and Madame Giri helps Raoul get to the base of his evil lair to go, so he can go and save Christine um, we get more singing here from Gerard Butler it, it essentially is all yell singing at this point down that path into darkness deep as hell. but Raoul eventually comes to save Christine and <laughs> the phantom immediately subdues Raul and ties his ass oh up. Oh my god, I, I, think, I need to get into this real quick. Raul turns his back to the phantom. It, Yeah, it was bad. Like, why would you turn your back to this guy who clearly has shown multiple times that he wants to kill you? Also, because you've shown now, Raul can beat the phantom in a a fair fight, or a fight at least. You can't go off on like saying, "Oh, the Phantom just overpowers Raoul," because that that doesn't make sense. We've seen Raoul beat the Phantom. The Phantom has tied Raoul up to like this grate in the sewer, and the Phantom has a rope around his neck and is threatening to kill Raoul if Christine doesn't marry the Phantom. 
So the, the fandom's like, marry me or I'll fucking kill your boyfriend. And if you choose to marry me, I'll let him go. So it turns into like a really intense moment where they're all singing the three of them together. Phantom's threatening Raul. Raul is telling Christine to let him die so she can get away. Christine is just freaking out. Christine comes down into the water, comes to the Phantom, kisses him. And then, of course, the Phantom goes, you can go. Take him. Get the fuck out. It's like a. it's supposed to be a very intense moment. And it, it is. It comes off that way. Gerard Butler's crying. And she basically, in showing the Phantom this extreme kindness and compassion, he realizes that he can't hurt her anymore. So he just lets her and Rao go. And she she leaves the phantom her engagement ring to remember her by that's suspicious that's weird the phantom tells her i i love you christine and she gives him the engagement ring and goes off with Rao. and in the gondola in in the little tiny boat in the sewer where the horse went i have no idea the poor horse <laughs> that child is how did the, the horse sewer. survive who fucking knows but yeah the phantom is left to cry alone for a while in the lair before he escapes then we go back to the framing device and we end the movie with an old man version of Raoul being wheeled up to Christine's grave and it shows that she died as a wife and mother so presumably she was married to Raoul for many years passed away and he sees a rose left on her grave with her engagement ring tied to it implying that the phantom still pines for Christine and loves her and left the rose for her and is still alive and is still alive so yeah that's the phantom of the opera Oh my god, it's over now! The music of the night! <laughs> oh god, Phantom. Um, oh boy. Um, so, yeah, what'd you think? <laughs> uh, talking it out, I think I'm gonna bump it up a little from my rating. Okay. Well, uh, what did you have it rated before? I initially had it as a 1.5. Okay. And that's kind of where I kept it after watching the movie. Mm-hmm. Talking it out, I think I might move it to a two. I really have magical powers with you when it comes to musicals. I always manage to talk you up. At least a half a star. It feels like the studio slash Andrew Lloyd Webber slash Joel Schumacher didn't have a cohesive idea of what they wanted this movie to be. And it kind of makes the movie seem a little messy. Are the songs still great? Yeah, because Phantom songs are really good. If you took some time and maybe cleaned it up, I feel like this movie could have been really good. I agree with that. I think that Joel Schumacher and Andrew Lloyd Webber had a vision of what they wanted, but they were thinking too big picture. I think they weren't focusing on the little details or what they maybe thought was little details like casting, like editing, like, you know, makeup. I I don't think they were worried as much about that as they were about the vibe. And the easiest thing would be to blame Gerard Butler, but I don't think that's the case. I, I don't think it's his fault. I think he's just a cog in this problem. I think he's the easiest person to point a finger at because he's the main character and he can't fucking sing in a musical. But again, th- th- this is something that, you know, the fucking director uh, and writer of this movie should have thought about before they put him in the lead role. Hell, when we talked about Spider-Man 3 just recently, oh, Kirsten Dunst can't sing past the fr- front row. Exactly. That's exactly right. It's unfortunate because I do agree with Scott that this could have been good. I had this as a two out of five stars. I kept it as a two and I'm I'm leaving it there. I think that's the perfect fit for what this movie is. Is it watchable? Yes. Is it frustrating, especially as a lover of musicals? Yes, it is. It's very frustrating. I would highly suggest because now, unfortunately, the show is off-Broadway, uh, which is a shame. It is kind of a staple in Broadway culture and New York culture, and it's it's a bummer that it's gone. Like, if you've gone to New York, you've seen the poster of the mask and the rose Right, everywhere. exactly. It's, it's very iconic. However, I would say if you would be willing to give it a chance and see if you would be into it, I highly would suggest 
trying to find the 2011 25th anniversary recording of it. It's significantly better and it surprised me how much I liked it. Yeah. And uh, you don't, there's no sequel. Don't look into the sequel. It's, it's trash. Don't worry about it. It's fine. So next week, we are having a completely different kind of film on the show. Uh, it's going to be a lot more comedic uh, than this movie, which is great. Yeah. For com- comedy for comedy's sake, actually. Not just making fun of Gerard Butler. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be interesting because this is a movie that isn't in Frankie's wheelhouse. No. Well, maybe. But it kind of is. Yeah. Maybe, sort of, kind of, maybe. Uh, Scott's going to show me a movie that I maybe will like, maybe not. But we're going to have a special guest on with us. A special guest that we haven't had on for a little bit. So I'm, I'm really excited to have the special guest on our show again. So until then, this has been Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out all of our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our kick-ass cheesy movie adventure the phantom of the podcast is here inside your ears oh no 